Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth yet spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. We're going to continue our series on Paul today. Paul, part two. We're just kind of going through some parts of his life and digging into it a little bit. Uh, of this little character study and just kind of pulling out some things and seeing how those things apply to us. It'll help us to get to know the Apostle Paul a little bit better. And in doing that, it helps us to know ourselves a little bit better and each other a little bit better. 1985, 86, 87, 88, people were, it, it was a weird time. I know you don't remember that time, Christina. You know, it was way back. And, uh, <laughs> It, you know, big hair and uh, music had big beats, you know, pop music and, you know, rock and all of that was happening. And it was it was a kind of a different time. And we were looking toward the 90s and what would the 90s bring and technology started coming about. That's right. We had technology, young people, even back in the 90s. It's, it started coming. We were trying to wonder what this thing was They're called email Email, what does that mean? It's something you have this little at thing, the A with a circle on it, and you can write and somebody gets it. We didn't understand what that meant. And that's old school stuff now. And uh, so we were looking toward the 90s. But when the 90s came, uh, if you're my age and older, you remember, we started looking toward the year 2000. You remember that? We, we had a name for it. Anybody remember? Y2K. You remember it. Year 2000, we were calling it Y2K, and we were all worried because all the computers in the world were going to shut down. It was going to shut down the world. Uh, in fact, you know, a lot of people, not people in church, but, you know, a lot of people were listening to uh, 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 artists called Prince, you know, and he was talking about 1999, year 2000, it's over with, the world's going to blow up, and uh, it's Jesus coming back. We didn't know what was going to happen in the year 2000. And then all of a sudden, the year 2000 came and went. God was still on the throne. People kept on working and doing what they had to do. And then I remember working in corporate America, and our CEO for the company I worked for was looking toward 2020 because we were, I was worked for a technology company, and they were looking to 2020. We can't wait. Oh, man, 2020. What kind of new technology will come in 2020? 20 years from now, will we be, uh, you know, will our cars be flying or floating, uh, you know, driving themselves? What, what kind of technology will it be? Our mind? I can talk to you, Jeff, just through my mind. And I don't know what's going to happen in 2020. And we were so looking forward to 2020, and all of a sudden 2020 comes, and it's a big change, but it's not the one we're expecting, is it? I mean, the world is shaken up, but it's not the shakeup that we expect. I'm not telling you that God brings disease. That's, I would never say that. God allows things to happen, but we don't understand why things happen, the reason and the purpose behind it. God saw this year. He saw this date before the foundation of the world. He knew what would happen today. 
Whatever you believe, whatever you believe about predestination or not predestination or choice, it doesn't matter because it still goes back to God already knew. He already knew because he's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all of those things. So even if we chose to do it, he knew we would choose to do it. God already knew. And so that's why our trust is not in man. Our trust is not in the world, but our trust is in the God that already knew. And here we are dealing with it. People going crazy, running around. What's going to happen? Is the world going to end? It's a political year in the United States. What's going to happen? We don't even know. All I can tell you is we have to do what the old hymn says. Turn your eyes toward Jesus. Turn your eyes toward Jesus. All the other stuff, we can argue about it. There's nothing wrong with it. We can debate politics and policy and virus and masks till the cows come home. Do what we, what we need to do. I understand that we can debate all that. But at the end of the day, you, church, we have got to turn our eyes back to Jesus. Because I think we've turned our eyes a little bit away. Not that we don't love the Lord, not that we don't still acknowledge that he's on the throne, but our head is, is, is turning a little bit. I sense our head is turning a little bit toward the world and following the world. And Jesus today, I don't want to scare you, but Jesus today is saying, wake up, hey, look at me, look at me, look at me. Parents know what I mean. Parents know what I mean. You're doing all, hey, 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 I'm talking to you. Look at me. I hear you. No, no, no. I want you to look at me so you understand what I'm telling you. I don't want it to go in one ear. Come on, somebody. And out the other ear. Sound like my grandfather. <laughs> right? God is saying that to the church right now. I don't want what I'm telling you to go in one ear and out the other because you're distracted. Look at me. Look at me. Turn your eyes toward me. Turn your eyes toward me. We look at this character, Paul. And Jesus had to tell him that. We'll see that today. Paul was going about doing his thing, believing he was doing the right thing. And Jesus had to stop him in his tracks and say, hey, look at me. Look at me. I've called you for a purpose. So what we're going through is nothing new. It's nothing new. Last week, we talked a little bit about Paul. We talked about his upbringing and where he had come from. And we kind of talked about uh, how he was really not a very good person. He, he followed God, but the, some of his actions were not very good, at least up until his conversion. We looked at that, and we found out that our perceptions can sometimes be totally off and totally wrong. They can be flawed. People's perceptions about you can be totally flawed. And we saw how God in his infinite wisdom, would mold Paul into what he wanted him to be at the same time using what he already created him to be. Come on, I'm going to say that again so you can get it. He, we saw how God began to mold Paul into what he wanted him to be by using what he had already created him to be. See, he didn't change all of his mannerisms. He didn't change all of his attitude. He just shifted it and molded it to use it for his glory. Paul was still zealous. Paul was still not afraid to say what was on his heart. He just followed the leading of the Holy Spirit when he did it. And that's what God will do with us. We know about Saul's violent past. 
In his letter to Timothy, he said, I am the greatest of all the sinners. And I don't believe he was bragging. I believe that was from his heart. He said, I am the chief. I was the chief of sinners. Talk about sinners. I was, I was the greatest sinner of them all. He took a realistic look at himself. He wasn't very proud of some of the things in his past. But we have to be careful about our judgment about Paul and our judgment about others. Because it's very likely, and I don't know everything you've gone through in your past, but it's very likely that many of us have some darkness in our past. I mean, what's the, what's the uh, cliche about a glass house? Right? And so we, 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 have to, we have to be careful. In fact, you might be shocked to know that some of the people that influence your life, some of the things that they've gone through in their life, some of the things that they're not proud of in their life. Come on, we're all uh, in that place where if the enemy would make us look back, then we would see some things that we're not very proud of. But the great thing, this, but this is the beauty of the gospel message, folks. This is the beauty of the gospel message. Because where sin increased, God's grace increased all the more. Where sin does abound, grace does abound all the more. There is no amount of sin that can trump the grace of God. And he, and he proves that. If, if you don't believe it, if you ever feel that way in your life where you're, 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 you feel heaviness on your shoulders, remember this Pharisee from Tarsus. All he had to do was turn toward God. He said some simple words. Who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do, Lord? That's what God's looking for. He's not looking for a people to be perfect. He's not looking for you to do everything right. I'm not telling you not to strive for perfection. He's not, tell, he's not saying, hey, I'm looking for somebody who's already doing everything right in their life. I'm looking for somebody who's willing to say, Lord, here I am. With all of my flaws and with everything that's messed up with me, you can use me. I don't know if I'm worthy, but I'm willing. That's who God is looking for. Anybody willing today to do what God wants them to do? Because that's who he's looking for. And then in this passage we're going to read, we find a man named Ananias. We're going to look really a little bit more at Ananias in Acts chapter 9 here in a moment. And God chose to use Ananias as a vessel to minister to the vessel Saul that he had already chosen. And it really is an illustration of how we are all vessels in the household of God being available for his use no matter where you are, no matter how much money you have, no matter your gender, no matter your color, no matter your background, no matter what church you go to, as long as it's a church. When I say church, I'm talking about the real meaning of the word church. Just let me, because any, anything that calls itself church has to have Jesus at the center. If Jesus is not at the center, you don't have the right to call yourself church. You can call yourself church, but Jesus started it, he began it, and he's the one building it. It belongs to him. So as long as you're part of the church, and I don't mean the church building, but as long as you're part of the church, God wants to use you. And we have to be able to discern this, folks, that God may not use you the way that you think you ought to be used. Yeah. 
God may not be using other people the way that you think he ought to use them. God may not be using the people that you think he should use. Come on. Because, again, last I checked, it's his thing. It's not our thing. It's all about him, as one brother James would always say. It's all about him, not about us. So he'll use who he wants to use in the way that he wants to use them, when he wants to use them, how he wants to use them, on the day he wants to use them, in the hour he wants to use them, and who he wants to use them to minister to. God will do that because it all belongs to him. And we have to be able to discern that. We have to be able to discern it. And Ananias found this out. Who was Ananias? Well, let's see. Acts chapter 9. Look at, look at verse 10. Look at verse 10, and I'm going to read all the way down through verse 17. Bible says, now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said, in a vision, in a vision, he spoke to Ananias. He said, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Here are these words. Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight, and this is key, and be filled with the Holy Spirit. A man of no renown. Who was Ananias? We had not heard of Ananias. Listen to another passage real quick in Acts 22. Uh, Paul recounting this same story. He says, then a certain Ananias... A devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood. And he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At that hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting Arise, be baptized, wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Ananias, a man of no renown, a man who we had not heard of. Now you have to think about this situation here because Paul, brother Saul, was on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. He was on his way to drag them bound to jail. That's what he was doing. And apparently, he was going to a man's house named Judas. He was already going to this house. Watch this now. He was going to meet up with Judas, and then he was going to do what he had to do. 
That's where he was going to lodge, and he's going to do what he had to do and bring all these Christians or these ones of the way back, bound and throw them in jail. So if he's going to Judas' house, Judas must be a sympathizer with Paul. He must think the same way that Paul thought. He already had it set up. The Bible doesn't say that changed. He was already going to Judas' house. So here you have Paul going to his friend Judas' house, who thinks the same way as Paul, presumably. And now all of a sudden, God speaks to Ananias. And he says, listen, I want you to go talk to Saul. And Ananias is going, okay. And he says, you got to go to Judas' house. So first of all, you want me to go talk to Saul, but I'm not going to meet him at the parking lot of Kroger. You want me to go to Judas' house, so you want me to walk into an ambush, Lord. And what you have to realize is Ananias wasn't surprised that God spoke to him. He's just trying to verify, <laughs> is this the one that I'm supposed to talk to, Lord? Is this the one? A man of no renown, Ananias. And if you look at verses 11 and 12, the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight. Inquire at the house of Judas. It, there, there was a vision there that happened to him. And it would seem that Saul was already going there. It was, it was prearranged. That being the case, he, he was sympathetic. He was sympathetic to Paul. So this is a very interesting situation, folks, to me. You find a very interesting situation. Here you have Saul after his encounter with Jesus going to Judas' house. Ananias had a vision, and he's coming. And I, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if, if Paul shared this with Judas, that he had had a vision. Obviously, Judas knew he was blind. Judas knew that he was blind. And then also, you have to think about this, Paul being blind. What you have to realize is that there was no damage to his eyes. Paul wasn't blind the way that we might think about blindness. Okay? But he wasn't in darkness. Because the Bible says when Ananias laid hands on him, something like scales fell from his eyes. So it was just like, you've seen those movies. Okay, you want to go see, you want to go see the boss? You got to put this blindfold on. And now we're going to take you to go see the boss so you can't see where we're going. That's kind of what happened to Saul. He, he put something over his eyes. His eyes weren't damaged. He wasn't blind in his eyes. He wasn't walking in darkness. But God impaired his vision. God stopped. That's key. God, God stopped him from seeing. He impaired his vision. And so here, this is what you have. And he, he gets to his house and Ananias begins to speak to him. I mean, Ananias wasn't one of the twelve. There doesn't seem to be anything distinguishing about him. Yet out of all of the people that God could have chosen, what about one of the twelve? All of the people he could have chosen, there doesn't seem to be uh, uh, anything distinguished about this man, but he chose Ananias. He chose him to minister to the one who would influence the church for centuries. Doctrine, churches, Christian way of living. Paul would influence all of this. The Holy Spirit would through Paul for centuries until today. But he chose Ananias to minister, to bring this man out of darkness. 
We look at Paul. We look at Saul and say how great he was. All the books that he wrote that ended up in the New Testament, all the adventures that he went on, how he got bit by a poisonous snake, but because of his faith, he overcame it. How he was shipwrecked, but he told him everybody's going to be saved because I'm on the boat and God's anointing is on me. How he talked to governors and kings, how he went to Rome and said, I'm a Roman citizen, and they felt bad about that. How he did all of these things. How he preached in Antioch. How he confronted Peter. How he did all of these things. But none of it would have happened without this man, Ananias, who nobody knows. If he didn't give him his vision, nothing would have happened. How did Paul have the vision to do all of this? Because Ananias said, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. Here I am. Both of these men had to humble themselves, didn't they? Paul had to humble himself. Ananias had to humble himself. A man named H. Jackson Brown said this. He said, every person you meet knows something that you don't know. I don't care. Every person you meet. That's why it's highlighted. Every person you meet. No matter what you think about them, every person you meet knows something that you don't know. And so in your judgment of them, also leave some room because you don't know who God is using. We just said that and we said amen to it. We just said it and we said amen to it. I mean, that doesn't mean you have to conform. Somebody's doing something wrong, whatever it is. But God may be using a situation. We have to be able to discern. This is what it means to look for God in every situation. God, what are you trying to tell me? See, Ananias wasn't amazed that God was speaking to him. He just wanted to confirm, <laughs> is this the one, Lord? You may be a person of no great reputation, spiritually, or you don't feel like you stand out physically. But you have to realize that God is not looking for people who stand out. He's looking for people who will respond, yes. And so the question to us becomes, are you available to him? Are you available? Can the Lord call on you when he needs you? That's the question. And if he calls on you, will you say yes? Two questions that you need to answer in your life. Can the Lord call on you when he needs you? Or are you too busy? And will you say yes when he calls on you? No matter what you're doing, you could be in the middle. You could be in the middle of a sermon. Standing in front of people, but if God calls you to do something else, can you say, yes, Lord? I really wanted to do this thing. I've waited three years for today to do this. Lord, can you wait till tomorrow? <laughs> What's your answer going to be? Could you be an Ananias in a sense? Minding your own business in Damascus and be called upon. I think the answer most of us would give is yes. The idea being that you don't have to be someone special. You just have to be available. So I want to just give you quickly three things that you need and to settle in yourself in order to be available for God should God call on you. Three things that I can gather from this text, this, these two men. These are, these are three non-negotiable things that you have to settle in your own heart. First of all, you have to expect the supernatural. The emphasis not even being on supernatural, the emphasis being on expect. Expect. 
You see, when, An when God called Ananias, Ananias in a vision, he wasn't surprised. At, at least according to the word of scripture, he wasn't surprised that God, oh, who is that? What is that? Is our voice? Did you hear that? Did you hear that voice? He wasn't surprised because the supernatural in the first century happened. It happened all the time. He wasn't surprised. We have to be able to expect the supernatural. I expect healing. I expect deliverance. I expect salvation. I expect overcoming. I expect to prosper. I expect all of these things according to the word of God. We have to be able to expect the supernatural. When he called Ananias, there was no explanation. He just got, got to it. Here I am, Lord, go to Judah's house. He didn't say, well, you know, I called you. I know kind of a surprise. Don't be surprised. Sit down for a moment. No, he didn't tell him any of that. Why? Because Ananias expected he expects it. We sometimes miss out on assignments God has for us because we're not expecting him to call on us. We're not, listen to me now, we're not expecting God to call on us. And the reason is because we don't feel we're worthy or we, we're not really ready. I need to take a few more classes. I, need to, I haven't read my Bible this week. I need to pray a little bit more. Uh, the way I acted yesterday wasn't really godly, so I need a little time. All of those things. Because of those things, we don't expect him to call on us. Very often, he calls you in the midst of that. Very often, God will call you in the midst of mess. And more often, he'll call you in the midst of your mess. And my mess. Uh, listen, I can say that with 100% assurity because I can testify about it. <laughs> there have been times where I'm like, okay, you know what? I just need some time. Maybe I need some time away. And God says, oh, I want you to do this right here, right now. What? God calls us. We're not developing a sense of hearing his voice. And that's what we need to develop. That's what we need to discern. And, and what we do is we compartmentalize the Holy Spirit. On Sunday morning, the Holy Spirit, we had a great time. We sang that one song or this person preached or somebody gave a testimony and all of those things. Or when we get up in the morning, we'll do our devotion time. And uh, that's a time to be before God. And I'm just at a, a high place in the Lord. But now I'm going to work and I got to go about my day. We kind of leave that there. But know ye not that ye are the temple, the temple of the Holy Ghost. That means wherever you go, the Holy Spirit goes because he's in you. He is in you. He's with you all day, no matter what you're doing. You could be going for ice cream. The Lord is with you. I say, Lord, what kind do you like? Sherbert? That's what we're going to get. <laughs> He's with you. He's with you. We can't compartmentalize the Holy Spirit. We have to expect all day long. Ananias wasn't taken back because of that vision, but he expected the supernatural. The second thing is, right along those same lines, we have to be prepared. Be prepared. Be pre don't, don't wait till God calls you and get prepared. Don't wait till the Lord, you're in your mess, and you have to say, well, I need to read a little bit more. Read every day. Read a little every day. Pray some every day. Every single day. I love the way Brother Dick Iverson put it one time. He came here and I think he might have been talking to our leaders or it might have been on a Sunday morning. And uh, he was saying, you know, really, it should be our goal to spend some quality time with God. 
Don't just get up and give him a few words and thank you, Lord, for waking me up and then go on about your day. We ought to find some time to spend some time with God. But then also, God, God knows your life. God knows your life. You know, he knows you're busy. You got stuff to do. I mean, he's just running the universe, but he knows you're busy. He knows that. <laughs> he knows I'm busy. Lord, I got some stuff to do today. I got to put together some sermons now. Look, either you're going to help me, Lord, or let me do this. Okay? He knows you're busy. And so sometimes you may not be able to go to, you know, the Texas Roadhouse or to old Charlie's. You might just have to go buy Mickey D's. You may have to turn to Psalms and read through Psalm 1 real quick. You might not have uh, an hour and a half, you know, like some of us do, you know, every day. They're, they're able to, to be before the Lord. <laughs> not every day. She said, not every day. Most days, but not every day. <laughs> but spend some time with the Lord. Spend some time with the Lord every day. This will help you to be ready. Ananias responded with words that a servant would respond with. He said, here I am. Here I am. Not who is it? What do I need to do to get ready? No, here I am, Lord. And see, when his, his response that, oh, this is Saul. It, this is the one that, you know, kills Christians. That response wasn't, to me, really a response of, I don't want to do what you've called me to do. I'm just trying to verify. That's all. I, you know, I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm just trying to verify I got it right with you. Is this what you want? Yes. Okay. Well, let's go do it. Because he obviously went and did it. We got to be ready. Second, Paul told Timothy. Now, I know Timothy was a pastor, and I know he was talking about ministering, but we can all take this to heart. He told him, listen to it in the New Living Translation. He said, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. You know, that's the in-season and out-of-season scripture. He said, whether the time is favorable or not, be prepared. Doesn't matter what's going on. You be ready. You be ready. When God calls on you, you shouldn't go get prayed up. <laughs> Come on. When God calls on, calls on you, you don't have to go brush up on your word. He's going to empower you anyway with everything that you need. So expect the supernatural. Be prepared. And lastly, listen, this is a must. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot even, <laughs> Acts chapter 1, verses 5 to 8, for, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is Jesus saying this. You will be baptized. I'm using that word and emphasizing it. It's in the word. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, okay, so that when they come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? This is in Acts chapter 1. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons, remember, be ready, uh, that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you know this scripture, some of you. You will receive power, power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, comma, and, you know what and is? It's a conjunction. Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up phrases and clauses. So that first phrase is hooked up with this second phrase. When you receive, you, you, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you in conjunction. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. The sentence doesn't go together without the conjunction. 
And when the conjunction is there, both of them go together. What am I saying? You can't even witness without the Holy Spirit. You can't witness the way God wants you to witness. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. What did Ananias tell Paul in Acts chapter 9, verse 17? It says he departed to, and entered the house. He went to Judas' house and laying hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me so that you might regain your sight, though you'll get your vision back. Those things will fall from your eyes and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul, you can't, all the great things you're going to do, you've been called from birth. You've been taught by Gamaliel. You are the Pharisee of Pharisees. Come on. You have so much knowledge, you ain't doing nothing until you get filled with the Holy Spirit. All that knowledge you have. Expect the supernatural. Be prepared and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, what we learn from these two men is that no matter who you are, where you are in life, God is talking to you this morning. No matter who you are, where you are in life, no matter your economic or social status, God created you to be used by him. You can say, Lord, here I am. Or you can allow God to humble you so that your vision will line up with his vision and then he will use you. This is what had to happen with Paul. It wasn't that Paul didn't have vision, but God had to cloud that vision, in fact, stop that vision, so that now the scales could come off of his eyes and he could have God's vision. How many of us need to go before God and say, I know I have a way, I have a perspective, Lord. I have a, a way that I think things should go. But Lord, if you need to blind me, if you need to put scales over my eyes, that the way that I'm looking now, and you need to remove those scales so I can see your vision, then Lord, do that. Do that.